Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us on today's Ask the Expert webinar, Aesthetic Strategies, the Indisputable Foundation of Invisalign with Dr. David Gates. You will earn two CE hours for attending today's program, and you will receive important instructions on how to obtain your CE certificates at the conclusion of the presentation. Additionally, CE hours will automatically be added to your Invisalign doctor's side account. Please allow two to four weeks for CE hours to appear on your account. Please note you are able to listen to today's program via the webcast. And throughout the webinar, you'll have the opportunity to ask text questions, which our presenter will answer at the conclusion of the presentation. I apologize in advance if we're unable to answer everyone's questions since our time is limited, but we will we'll follow up after the program to answer any outstanding text questions. Today's program will be archived in its entirety one week from today at AlignTechInstitute.com, where you may also access archived versions of all of our previous Axie Expert programs anytime for CE hours. It's now my distinct pleasure to introduce today's speaker, Dr. David Gates. Dr. Gates was the first Invisalign GP trained in the state of Nevada and has been treating Invisalign patients at his private practice in Las Vegas since 2001. Dr. Gates lectures throughout the U.S., Canada, and Central America and has taught over 200 Clear Essentials 1 and Clear Essentials 2 courses while conducting numerous study clubs as well. In 2005, he was awarded the top speaker at the Invisalign GP Summit and then followed that up in 2006 and 2007 with top speaker honors as well. Dr. Gates received his dental degree from Marquette University. So without further ado, I'll turn the program over to Dr. Gates. Dr. Gates, you now have the floor. I'd like to welcome everybody to the uh, Ask the Experts seminar today, and I hope that it will be beneficial to you and that you'll enjoy it. And any questions, I'll look forward to addressing those at the end of the presentation. Uh, I'd like to start out by talking about the issue of aesthetics. Most of the patients that come in to see us come to, invis uh, come to have Invisalign as a result of their aesthetic desires. We talk about occlusion and malocclusion, and those are very valid. We talk about hygiene and periodontal disease as it, as it applies to Invisalign, and all of those are very substantial issues. But I think we'll all agree that most patients come to us because they want their teeth to look better. I'd like to start out by just taking a couple of minutes to review some of the things about the smile and about aesthetics that we hope to achieve when we treat an Invisalign case. I'd like to mention something that appeared in the CE a number of years ago. It said that aligners are a part of, or an adjunct, we have, we have different parts of the program, and the use of aligners is only one part of those. So I, I certainly am going to talk about the aligners a lot in the next few minutes but I want to talk about the aesthetic issues and things that you do in addition to the aligner treatment that might produce a more aesthetic result. I'd like to just point out that we all agree that there are certain characteristics of a smile that enhance the beauty of a patient's smile and their result, and that's what we're looking for. And not everybody has perfectly shaped teeth. Not everybody has uh, a perfectly uh, symmetrical teeth. And so we're going to try to achieve as many of these characteristics as we can to get as close to ideal as we possibly can. Let's review together just a few things that we can control. We, we can control in a very large measure the position of the teeth. That's what orthodontics is all about, of course. We can, as dentists, control the shape of many teeth. We do that through IPR and some other techniques that I'm going to describe to you. We can, with bleaching, change the color of the teeth. We can uh, change the relationship of the bite with both orthodontics and with occlusal equilibration, and we can change to some extent the display. That's the one that probably we have the least control over. We can uh, affect the display a little bit with intrusion and extrusion, and some with um, 
with uh, restorations, of course, but uh, the display is a skeletal and muscle issue, so we perhaps have less control over that. Let's talk about a couple of things that we do have more control over as it applies to the teeth. We can do incisal contouring, and many of you do that uh, routinely as part of your Invisalign treatment and sometimes as part of your regular dental treatment. We make the teeth a prettier shape as a result of that. Another thing we often do is cosmetic contouring. That's contouring the shape of the teeth in a facial lingual direction. We can do that in a number of ways, and we have a number of tools to do that. Here I'm uh, showing shaping a tooth before I do compressions in order to get a better shaped tooth. And uh, I will do this quite frequently as part of my treatment so that the teeth start prettier. One of the things we're going to talk about in a few minutes is when to do these different strategies. And I'm recommending, as you see here, that these strategies be done before we take our impressions. Now, here's a good example of a misshapen tooth. And you might try to decide, can I affect that at all? Or when should I affect it? And this represents the shape of the tooth as it is currently. And many times, if we just let Invisalign take its course, IPR would be the solution to making that tooth fit in the arch. And I'm going to suggest that that's probably not the best way to get a good result, because as I view the tooth right now, that's more the shape that I'd like to have it. And when would be a good time to get rid of that extra enamel? I think it would be really great to get rid of it right now before we ever start the impression uh, process or before we ever start the Invisalign process. And then, when we're done, we have a much better shaped tooth that will fit much more nicely in the arch. So that concept of shaping the teeth is part of the way that we can get a better aesthetic result. This lady started out looking like that when she first came in. And when she was done, she was able to uh, have a much more aesthetic result as a result of shaping the teeth at the beginning. We can do selective IPR. Selective IPR is one of those things that would be significant to us because we can decide where we're going to do the IPR and in doing so shape the teeth in a specific way. I'll give you an example of that. When IPR is calculated, the, the uh, computer measures the dimensions of one tooth, and then it, uh, it uh, measures the dimensions of the adjacent tooth and simply identifies to you how much overlap there is. But there's Nothing that the computer says that specifies whether or not you should do it on the tooth on the left or the tooth on the right, the mesial of one surface or the distal of another. So by being selective, we can be better tuned into the aesthetic shape of the tooth. Now, here on tooth number 25 and number 26, would you use a double-sided disc to do IPR if you had the shape of those teeth as they are? And I'm going to submit to you that that would not be a good strategy. I have a very large tooth on 26 and a small one on 25, and I want to do all my IPR on number 26 instead of doing just a double-sided disc. So even though the computer says go in there and, and take 3 tenths of a millimeter or 4 tenths of a millimeter away, I would be selective. I would be selective about that in the same way that I'd be selective about the dimension of these two teeth. It's a different case, but it happens to be 25 and 26. You can see how much more, how much a bigger 26 is, and so I would want to do the IPR only on that. And in doing that, I would use a one-sided strip or a one-sided instrument, so my IPR is entirely on 26 and not touching at all tooth number 25. So that selective IPR becomes an aesthetic strategy for us. Here again, I'm doing the same thing. I'm using a one-sided disc just to address the uh, the unesthetic shape of tooth number eight, and in doing that. 
getting a better uh, contour of the tooth, I get a much nicer uh, contact and, and not nearly so much of a black triangle. And uh, then at the end, I can level those off, and I think that I get a better aesthetic result. One more strategy that I have some control over is the gingival margin. I can affect the gingival margin by intruding or by extruding, but I can also do that with a gingivectomy that will help me to change the actual dimension of the tooth, and I do that fairly frequently. My periodontal friends sometimes tell me that any gingival contouring I do is going to be uh, erased, that the gum will go back. I have not seen that in very many cases. I'm pretty conservative, conservative about it. I do it a lot, but I do it just a little a tiny bit each time, and I have not seen that tissue go back all the time. Now, this display that I said we don't have very much control of, we have a little bit of control. Here you see a fairly gummy smile. We did a gingivectomy there and just softened that just a little bit. Can't be extreme because display is the least that we have control over unless you send her over and she does a, a crown lengthening with the periodontist. And the last way that we have to do that, to have some effect on the aesthetic shape of those teeth is with restorations. We can put a restoration on that changes the facial contour, the length, the color, all of those things that you know well about. So I'm going to just submit that some of those strategies that we have available to us for aesthetics is incisal contouring, cosmetic contouring, I've just distinguished between those two, selective IPR, gingival contouring, and restorations. I want to pause for just a second and ask you to think about when you would do each of those. Many of you will do incisal contouring at the end of the case. I totally understand that. Selective IPR happens in the middle of the case during treatment when IPR is required. Gingival contouring may well be done at the end of the case. And of course, we recommend that restorations be done at the end of the case and not at the beginning of the case. Let's go through those one more time. I can affect the position of the teeth, the shape of the teeth, the color of the teeth, the bite relationship, and the display. All of those I have more or less control over the position of the teeth, the one that I have a huge amount of, of control over. Now, I want you to think about the relationship between adjacent teeth. Here's a case where I'm going to make a decision about what's going to be more aesthetic. Now, I'm going to take these two teeth, eight and nine, and suggest ways that I could move them. I could take number eight and tell the technician that I want to intrude that tooth and make it equal to nine. Or I could take number nine and tell the technician what I'd really like to do is I'd like to extrude that tooth. Or you could do a combination of both and split the difference. But that reasoning applies in every dimension. You'll notice that nine is more buccal than number eight, or eight is more lingual. You have to make a choice, or you can let the technician do it, about which of those positions is more correct. And I'm going to ask you to think that through and, and also uh, equate that to which is going to give you the easiest movements, the most predictable movements, and the shortest treatment time. Now, with that in mind, thinking about eight and nine, I want to ask yourself, I want you to ask yourself three questions. First, where do the centrals go? I'll come back to that in a second, because I think that that's where the, every case starts, at least in my head, that's where all those, uh, that's where that starts. The second question is where do the cuspids go? In my view, cuspids are going to control the whole occlusal scheme and functional scheme, so I have to get those in place. And my least concern, or my third concern, is where do the molars go? In my own approach to Invisalign, I try to move the molars 
mesiodistally as little as I possibly can. Now, I often see this strategy, which I don't care for, and I'm going to warn you about it, and that's what I call collapsing the arch. It's that if you have a choice of what to do with the, mold, uh, the centrals, they are often significantly lingualized. This is an overlay of a before and after. Watch that again. There's before and there's after, and that's what I refer to as collapsing the arch. That would be my last priority, or my last uh, choice, is to, to collapse the arch. I do not want those front teeth brought in under almost any circumstance. Obviously, if I have spaces between them, I may like to do that, but generally I like to leave the centrals as close to where they are as possible. Now, I mentioned earlier that I want to talk about these strategies in relationship to when they happen. Do they happen at the beginning of the case? Do they happen at the end of the case? Do they happen in the middle of the case? Some are going to happen in each of those circumstances, but I like to divide them up so that they're clear in your mind. And in order to do that, I'm going to take our little timeline, our little series of aligners that's at the bottom of each of those checks, and use that as my, my icon for when things are going to happen. So the question is, when should we address the aesthetic elements of the case? I happen to know that many of my peers never touch the elements of the, the case, the aesthetic elements of the case, until the end. They let Invisalign do all of its, its emotions and all of its action and all of its treatment, and then they come to the end. Uh, and then they do their aesthetic elements, and I'm going to recommend just exactly the opposite. I'd like to suggest that there are three places that you can, uh, you can affect some of these strategies. One is at the beginning, before you take your impressions. Then you'll have some strategies that you do during treatment, and then there's going to be some strategies that you're going to do at the end of the treatment or at the end of your second set of aligners. So we'll first talk about as though you did the case in one series of aligners, and then I'm going to talk about strategies that apply to doing it in two sets of aligners. So let's look at this. All of the strategies strategy we implement during treatment have to do with the position of the teeth and their relationship to each other. Because the teeth are a moving target, they're going from one place to another, they're moving in all kinds of various ways. Any other aesthetic strategies must be implemented before and after aligner treatment, except for bleaching and selective IPR. Bleaching can be done before, and in theory it could be, be, be done during. I don't know anyone who's done that. Before uh, the aligners or after for bleaching, and of course selective IPR is taking place during treatment. But other than that, Every single one of the treatments that you implement will be done uh, either before or after. And so I want to suggest that there's more things that you would do before than perhaps you're doing now. So let's talk about stuff that we do before impressions, and all of these are cosmetic contouring strategies. I have a few of them to share with you. The first one I'm going to refer to is this, the cosmetic contouring, is that you would look at the shape of the teeth and say, are these teeth pretty teeth? Are there ways to make them bigger, better? This particular tooth is a very unusual shape. Tooth, this will be the exception, not the rule, but you can see it as this unusual contour on number nine. And so I'm going to not wait for the end of that because that just makes it difficult for the technician to determine what, what position that tooth should line up with the adjacent tooth. So I'm going to take that little section right there, and I'm going to remove that before I start my impressions. Here's another one. This is a very unusual shape, tooth on number nine also. Look at the difference, that, that, uh, the difference between those two teeth. That's a very challenging thing for the technician to put that tooth in the quote-unquote correct place. 
And so I would want to have contoured that tooth to the best of my ability before I start with the understanding with the uh, the patient that I may need to restore that in order to make it match number eight when we're all done with Invisalign. Another strategy associated with cosmetic contouring has to do with sending in impressions of raggedy teeth. And here's all kinds of chips and, and irregularities and nicks and grooves on that. I don't want to send in any um, case that has a chance of having a liner hang up the seating of that. And so I do not want the technician to have to decide which is the correct position of those teeth. And so before I send them in, I'm going to get out my disc and I'm going to make those teeth all smooth. Now you might make the case that number eight should have a composite put in it to make it have a convex contour instead of a concave. I don't disagree with that. I just don't think in this case it's very necessary. I could do that at the end. Now you'll notice I didn't make number 26 any sh uh, shorter to match 25, but I just simply smoothed everything up. So I, I take every case before I send the impressions and I go around and I dust off all the sharp corners and all the raggedy edges and all the irregular um, shapes of the teeth to make them nice and smooth. So I want to send my technician the most beautiful teeth I possibly can. Now those are strategies that we're talking about to do before we take our impressions. I'll give you another one now. This is cosmetic contouring for symmetry. If you look at the difference between nine and eight, there's a little bit different shape between the two of them. They're not the prettiest shape in the world. But particularly, I've got that large bulge on the back side of tooth number eight. And so there's the shape of it, and that's just going to contribute to that black triangle. Once I finish my last aligner, I have no other option. I don't have the opportunity to reshape the contact of the tooth once I've got those aligners done because the technicians closed all the spaces. But this is the shape roughly of the tooth I want it to be. And I see that big black triangle there, and so here's my difference between what I have and what I should have, I think. And so what I'd like to do is before I take my impression, I'd like to get rid of that. And the way that I'm going to do that is I'm going to take my micrometer and measure tooth number nine and see what the dimension is. And then I'm going to measure tooth number eight. And I'm going to go in there with a diamond. And I'm going to smooth that off until I have a nicer contour. Now I can do that same thing for tooth number seven to get rid of some of that bulge. So that now that I have um, equal size of teeth between eight and nine, and then number seven, I would have a better contact, so I'd reduce that black triangle. Now another strategy that's um, associated with this co cosmetic contouring is what's sometimes called pre-impression IPR or pre-PBS IPR. And I think that's a wonderful strategy. I use that very often. So here's a series of teeth that I have adjusted so that there would not be so much crowding. And you can see, for example, tooth number 20 is rounded. I have no facets on that. Between 20 uh, and 21, I've also got nice contours. And look at the ClinCheck here, and you'll see how much easier this is uh, for us to get these teeth to move into place because we rounded the contacts and smoothed and took away some of the bulk of those those teeth. So pre-PBS IPR, I view as a very effective strategy uh, to contour before I start, but you want everything rounded nice and anatomically. And that ended up starting out like that and ending up like that in what I think that was before refinement. I still got a little bit more to go, but the whole uh, sequence of teeth movement was made easier by having those contacts be lighter. 
So aesthetics before impressions. I've just mentioned irregularly shaped teeth that you can adjust before your impressions, damaged contours of teeth that could be corrected. I do that very routinely. Asymmetric teeth. If you want your teeth to be symmetric, the only time you have to affect that is at the beginning before you start your impressions because afterward it's too late because all your teeth are going to be touching and in contact. And then pre-PBS IPR. So those are four uh, approaches to doing before impressions. So we've talked about aesthetic strategies before the first aligner. Now let's shift our attention and talk about strategies that are used during the aligners. Now I'm going to split these kind of in the middle of treatment strategies into two kinds. One that you plan beforehand during ClinCheck, and I'm actually going to come back to those at the very end of this presentation and talk about the specific I'm going to make a full circle and talk about the ones that you plan during ClinCheck. But then I want to talk about strategies during the aligner treatment, and that's to treat problems as they occur during aligner treatment. Now, this particular section is one that I know many dentists want to know a lot about, and I want to be as helpful as I can here, because the big question is often, what do I do when the aligner doesn't fit? And I hope to address that in this little section. So everything I'm going to talk about now is not at the beginning like we did a moment ago, but it's everything that happens during the treatment for the first set of aligners. So my second strategy that I want to sort of, uh, my big picture strategy here is the first series tracking strategies. When I talk about first series, I'm talking about your first set of aligners, say 1 through 20, as opposed to refinement, because in a couple of minutes I want to talk about some refinement strategies and things that you would do during your second set of aligners. I want to point out that in my view of the Invisalign world, there are only seven tracking problems. There's only seven. There's failure to buccalize and lingualize, and there's failure to extrude or intrude, and there's failure to mesialize and distalize, and there's failure to rotate. That's all there is. It's just those seven problems. Now, sometimes you get a combination of those problems. It doesn't rotate and it doesn't extrude or it doesn't lingualize and mesialize, but fundamentally broken down, it's uh, just these seven. And if I can get a command on these seven, I can solve myself all kinds of trouble because that's all the problems that I have to deal with. And if I can get strategies for each of those, I'm going to be in much better shape. Now, I'd like to walk you through a little quiz here. I'd like you to think about those seven. I'm going to show you a couple of pictures. I want you to guess in your mind what the problem is. All right, let's take this one. I've drawn a, a, a yellow line to represent the aligners. So if you see an aligner fit like that, what's the problem? Taking those seven, the answer is that's a failure to intrude. Number 24 didn't go down where it was supposed to. Now, the good news would be if you looked on the clean check and it was supposed to look exactly like that, but in this case, the aligner was not seating on all the adjacent teeth, and that was failure to intrude. Let's do another one just for the sake of a little quiz. What's the problem here? The answer that I hope you gave was it's failure to extrude. That tooth number 27 didn't pull up in line where it was supposed to. The rest of the aligner fit great. What I wouldn't want you to do is take an impression and start over. I wouldn't want you to not identify that and go, well, the aligner doesn't fit, so I better take a new impression never knowing what the problem was or what the solution was. Let's have another one. This one I need to show you a couple of images in order for it to make sense. What's the problem here? Here's how they start. 
this is what it was supposed to look like at the end of the ClinCheck, and at the end of the ClinCheck, this is what it looked like. All right, what is the problem? Failure to intrude. I was supposed to intrude six teeth on the top, or the, or the, the doctor was, the treating doctor. Those teeth were supposed to intrude, and they didn't, so that was failure to intrude. How about this one? Look at this one and tell me what the problem is. Now, I hopefully would not have uh, let this go this long, and this was not my case, so I can only make a supposition, but I'm going to tell you that I think that that's failure to lingualize. I think that all those teeth were supposed to come inward, lingually, and they didn't, and so they're further buckled when the aligner wants them to be, and as the aligner forced them lingually and they couldn't do it, some of them intruded inadvertently. Now, that's, I don't have a clinch check, so I can't tell you that for sure, but that would be my first guess about what was happening there. Can you identify that problem? Yeah, that's failure to lingualize. Okay, now, I wanted to just show you one more, and then we'll go back to our list and give you some solutions. This is what was supposed to happen. The uh, movement, I, I'm not showing the clinch check, but what was supposed to happen was we're looking at tooth number 29. That's where it was supposed to be at the end of treatment. 28, by the way, is a pontic. That is not a real tooth. So we're trying to create some space in there. And guess what happened? At the end of the first series of aligners, it was like that. Now, could you have fit the pontic into that one on the right? Of course you couldn't. So that one, what was the problem on this one? It's failure to distalize. We didn't get that tooth far enough back. By the way, I'll just tell you a little lesson I learned on this. The first one that we did was a pontic for a false tooth in number 28. I learned that in order to have more force to distalize, you shouldn't ask for a pontic there. And if you don't ask for a pontic there, you'll have a rim or a rib of really strong plastic that, that goes between the two teeth. So instead of having a, a pontic, which is a little weaker, you have a, uh, a rim kind of a mini two-by-four of plastic right in between those teeth, forcing that tooth to distalize better. So I learned that a better way to approach that is to, um, to uh, not put the pontic in. In any case, that was failure to distalize. Now, all but two of these can be treated while treatment continues. There's no need for mid-course correction or refinement on two of these. You can, you can take action with buccalizing and lingualizing while you're continuing with treatment. You can address extrusion and medialization and rotation. The only two you can't do on the fly, you can't fix with your current set of aligners, is failure to intrude and failure to distalize. And that's because we have no strategies to take the current aligners and fix those. But let's look at something we do have. If I have failure to lingualize or failure to buccalize, what's the strategy? I figure out where they're binding or colliding. I do a little IPR, and I can use the dimpling pliers, and I should be able to move on. And when I talk about moving on, that's not true in every single case, because some of them you, you just have built-in problems from the clean check. But fundamentally, you've got to be able to take IPR and the dimpling pliers and solve buccalizing and lingualizing problems. So I'd take some dimpling pliers. Here was a failure to buccalize and lingualize on the tooth image on the lower left. and the dimpling pliers and a little IPR and dial those right into place. So that can be done during treatment without having to start over. How about failure to distalize? You can't fix that. I showed you this one. This is a planned distalization, and that's what I got instead. You are going to have to take a new set of impressions to fix that. But that doesn't mean that you can't get some other 
keep moving with the same series of aligners you have, and I would go as long as I could. What's the aligner going to do when you have failure to distalize? It's not going to see well. Why not? Because the aligner thinks the tooth is further distal than it really is. So when it goes to put the plastic over there, it doesn't sit down. I know you want to try to just squeeze on that with a chewy, but the further it doesn't distalize, the more you'll have bounce and the more poorly the aligner will see. Okay, failure to rotate. Can you fix that on the fly? Absolutely. Here's a good example of that. We've got a tooth that's not rotating all the way, and the doctor who treated this put a button on and, uh, and, a, um, and then uh, a notch on the back or a slip on the back of the aligner, and the elastic went on, and he didn't have to start over. He just kept treating it, and it turned out great. Okay, failure to rotate, that's the one. Here's another one. Same idea. This tooth wasn't rotating all the way, so he put uh, two elastics on it, one on the inside and one on the outside. Didn't have to get a new set of aligners, didn't have to take a new set of impressions, just kept moving forward. Those are just some examples that I want to give you, but failure to intrude cannot be solved with your current set of aligners. You're going to need a new set of aligners, and I'll give you some strategies for that. But those two are the ones that you can't fix on the fly. So now let's move our attention for a second to ways that we can reduce our, the length of time or reduce our refinement aligners. What we'd really like to do is have that be shorter or not at all. So failure to distalize is going to require you a new set of aligners, and so is failure to intrude. And I already showed you this issue that the planned distalization, the actual distalization, is going to require ultimately a, uh, a new impression. Now let's go back and just touch for just a second on this issue of the relationship with, between buttons and elastics, which I've just shown you a couple of examples on. Uh, buttons and, and elastics are always placed to course correct, unless, of course, you're changing a class 2 to a class 1 or a class 3 to class 1, then you plan those from the beginning. But most elastic use is, that you learn in CE2, is used to fix problems that uh, come up in the middle whereas attachments are always planned at the beginning of the set of aligners. Now, maybe I can use a, a, an example to show the relationship between the attachments and the, and the buttons. All right, so let's take a look, and um, let's take a look at this. When you start over, when you simply can't get the aligner to seat at all. Now, why would that happen? I've said that there's seven reasons why uh, you, you uh, have tracking problems, and I'm going to simplify all of those seven into two issues, which I think that there's only two problems in all of the design. One is collisions and one is compliance. So all the tracking problems that you discovered, not all of them are collisions, but most of them are collisions. You simply run into trouble. So anyway, uh, and there's also patient compliance. So let's take a look at the relationship between elastics and, and attachments. So Dave comes in to see me, and his problem is he doesn't like the way number 11 looks. Now, in CE2, you learned that you could extrude predictably two millimeters. Well, Dave, in order to get his tooth in line, he needs six and a half millimeters. And uh, he's going to, the clean check shows how far down that tooth has to go. And you can see that one there. Uh, same thing. There's the clean check designed to make sure that uh, that tooth is in line. Now, what did I use? I used horizontal rectangular attachments in order to extrude that tooth. 
Today, this was done a few years ago, today we might use a beveled attachment. But I wanted a very robust horizontal rectangular attachment as my strategy for getting that tooth into place. Watch it again. Now that's that what you just saw was the first 17 aligners necessary to get the other teeth out of the way. I didn't even budge that tooth from the beginning. If you were supposed to pull that tooth down from the beginning, you could guarantee that there would be a collision there. So at liner 16 is what I had, and that's what I, where that matches, a liner 16 with the photograph. A liner 18, I pull that down, and I'm in good shape. By the time I get to a liner 26, I'm in still good shape, but by the time I get to a liner 34, I start to see this little gap in between. And that gap in between tells me I've got a collision. So what do I do? I notch out the aligner, I put a button on, and I have to put an elastic on to help it keep up. I didn't wait until it was a train wreck. I did it early. But what was the real problem? The real problem was that I had a collision on the mesial because of that distal bulge on tooth number 10. And so when it got to the right place and the contact, it collided and it couldn't go any further. So the aligner kept going and the tooth didn't. So that elastic made it so that I could continue on the treatment. So by aligner 40, I'm there. And by the time the tooth, the case was done, this is what it started out like. And when I'm done, that's what he looked like. So he started out looking like this. And by the time he was done with his aligner treatment, he looked like that. So I started out with attachment strategy, and then I, uh, and once I started out with the attachment strategy, then I needed to use an elastic add-on to solve the problem. Now let's talk some more about the relationship between that first and second set of aligners. What would you do on the second set of aligners that you didn't do on the first set of aligners? Well, I'm gonna take the position that I think it's a little silly to do exactly the same thing on the first set of aligners as uh, on the second set of aligners as you did on the first set of aligners. I think it's silly to just ask for more of the same because more of the same didn't work the first set of aligners, otherwise you wouldn't be asking for a second set of aligners. So your refinement has to be a different strategy than your first set of aligners. So I asked the question, what am I learning it will help me simplify the second set of aligners. What do I learn about the stubborn teeth on the first one? And what are the movements teaching me that will influence my planning for the second set of aligners? There's very few instances where you would just do more of the same. You'd always have to have a different strategy in your second set of aligners. So what you do at the beginning of that second one is what I want to talk about for a second. And this little uh, slide is intended to emphasize that I want to shrink down do things that will help me to have that second set of aligners be shorter. Now, some of those strategies I'm going to actually do at the very beginning of the first set of aligners that I know will help me, and I will talk about those in a couple of minutes. I view it as a worst-case scenario to have a second set of aligners that's even longer than the first ones. That suggests to me that I didn't plan out my first set of aligners very well because I've got a second set of aligners that's even longer. So a third strategy I want to mention to you, which is fundamentally useful in that second set, is overcorrection. Overcorrection means that when I come to my second set and I'm doing my clean check and I saw that some of these teeth were stubborn, I'm going to ask them to go even further than they're supposed to. 
I'll give you a couple of examples. Look at this relationship between number 10 and number 9. That uh, was more crowded at the beginning, but by the time I finished my first set of the liners, that's where it was. This was about eight years ago that we did this case. Look at this kind of carefully. I want to show you what it was supposed to look like at the end. That's what it was supposed to look like. And, in fact, what it did look like was that. Why? Well, again, it was collisions. It was a collision between number uh, 9 and number 10. It was failure to rotate. And that failure to rotate made it difficult for that tooth to go where it was supposed to. But I realized what a difficult tooth it was to, to rotate. It was, uh, it was challenging. So I asked for something completely different. I realized this guy was going to give you trouble. He was a troublemaker. So what did I do? I did a clean check that allowed it to go further than it was supposed to go. Now watch what I asked for. That's what I asked for because I didn't want to run out of aligners before I ran out of movement. So I asked for it to, be, to go further than it was supposed to, and then I could stop when it got to where the correct position was, and then it started there. And after I used that strategy to get that uh, done, it looked like that. But I, I still had to do a little touch-up on that. But basically, I was able to turn that because I asked for it to go further than it was supposed to go. Let me give you another example of that. This is tooth number seven that I over-rotated in the ClinCheck. See, I kicked it out further than it was supposed to go, and when it was done, it was dialed in just where I wanted it. Here's another more extreme example. This is a cusp of 27 that I rotated out and then went way, way further than it was supposed to go, almost 20 degrees further. And because I used that strategy of no collisions, you'll notice that I didn't have any IPR until the very end. You, you couldn't see that because I don't have the IPR on that. See, but the IPR was very late. It went way out. I'm going to actually play that again for you if I, if I can so you can see that. I'm going to push it way out further and see if I can get that to go further. Here we go. That's going to kick way out. go further by about 20 degrees than it's supposed to, and then come back. Now, by using that strategy of overcorrection, I actually use it on the first series of aligners, but I'm teaching it for you as a strategy in your second set of aligners. It turned out like that on the first set, at the end of the first series of aligners. I have a, a tiny little bit of tweaking in a couple of other areas, but basically I got the tooth right in the exact position I wanted it because I used that strategy of overcorrection. So those are the three strategies. I've got one more to show you here. Uh, as far as the aesthetic part, and then I'll return to that with one other example. So number four is your preferences. Now I told you that I was going to come all the way back to talk about ClinCheck at the beginning, and so these are some strategies that you build into your preferences, and you can deal with them all the time. This is way back to the beginning. Okay, all of the strategies we implement during treatment have to do with the position of the teeth and their relationship with each other. I said this earlier on. Any other aesthetic strategies must be implemented before or after aligner treatment, except bleaching and selective IPR. So I'd like to add four strategies to put in your treatment preferences that make the first series of aligners more predictable, and in doing so, it actually will reduce the number of refinements that you need to make. Okay, one, stage IPR late in the sequence. I do not like early IPR, and I'm pretty sure that you don't like it either. And uh, so I would like to just help you remember that um, IPR, early IPR is your enemy, 
and late IPR is your friend. Early IPR is your enemy, late IPR is your friend. Okay, the second strategy is that you ask for no IPR during rotation. Remember I said that collisions was one of your big problems. And when you have collisions, you have, uh, those are, they're going to put the brakes on and not allow your teeth to move where they're supposed to move. So you don't want to have any IPR while your teeth are rotating. A third thing that you can put in your preference is that you round trip severe rotations. Instead of having those rotate and, and use IPR as a strategy to cut your way out of the jungle, you want to round trip them, move them out of contact, then rotate them, and then put them back. And last is that when you're doing intrusion, remember I said that intrusion you can't fix. While you're in treatment, you have to go to another set of aligners. So I always intrude multiple teeth only two at a time. If you have a situation where you're going to intrude six teeth at the same time, I can guarantee you, you're not going to get those six teeth to intrude all the way down as far as the clinch check shows. So a strategy to get around that is to ask in your treatment preferences way back in your clinch check, tell them that you want to uh, intrude only two at a time. What does that look like? Well, I'll show you in a couple of examples of that. Here, I asked for eight and nine to intrude first, and that's where they ended up in the middle of treatment. And then when I was done with treatment, I had them all lined up because I only intruded two at a time. I didn't intrude six teeth at a time, as you sometimes see happen. I don't believe that's going to very, very often take place. So stage IPR late in the sequence, you have to ask for that, and you can put it in your treatment preferences. No IPR during rotations. Round trip for severe rotations, and then intrude multiple teeth only two at a time. Those are strategies to put in at the beginning. Now, notice that attachments and elastics are not included in the short list. Why is that? Well, attachments, I generally follow the best practices protocols, which work very well, and I totally recommend them. Aesthetic strategies are corrective, not preventative. You don't plan the use of elastics in the clinch check unless you're trying to figure out whether you want to do class one or class two. Or changing from, from a, a class two to a class one or changing from a class two to a class one, then you're going to plan the elastics in. But they are very useful aesthetic strategies during the first stage of liners. They maintain tracking and they reduce refinements. So that's very helpful. Okay, let's return to aesthetics. We started out by talking about aesthetic strategies we can do. Let's finish off with a couple of aesthetic issues. I want to mention incisal contouring again, cosmetic contouring, shaping of the teeth so that they're as pretty as they can be, selective IPR, which we discussed, gingival contouring, which I talked about, and restorations. So let's put all of those together, and we'll take a look at a case together. Remember also we talked about first set of aligners, and second set of aligners, and using different strategies at different points. So let's put them all together with a case right here with one of my patients. So he has some aesthetic issues that we want to improve on. Let's let's uh, let's uh, name them or name them and identify them. First, we have a discrepancy between our incisal edges between eight and nine, which we want to fix. And you'll notice that nine is much bigger than eight. That's going to build us some, uh, some require some decision making. We would really like to ex extrude and get number seven and ten to be a little longer, 
And we also have this rotated number six that gives us sort of kind of a fang look because you can see the lingual surface there. So here's a close-up, and let's take a look at the difference in size discrepancy between eight and nine as we make our decisions. I have to decide what I'm going to do with eight and nine. Here's how the size of nine, eight looks. Here's how the size of nine looks. I've got a discrepancy on the gingival margins as well as the incisal margins. So I've got some issues that I've got to solve there. Now, I personally would like longer teeth rather than shorter teeth. So I have to decide, am I going to take one of these teeth and am I going to move it up by doing a gingivectomy and change the position of it? Or am I going to take the longer one and I'm going to do some incisal contouring? Or am I going to do a restoration on number eight to make them the same length? And the answer is, for my purposes, I'm going to split the difference. I'm going to do some intrusion, some gingivectomy, and some incisal contouring. And by doing all three, I have to do less of any of those. So with that in mind, uh, I can do some incisal contouring on my game plan. already talked about that. And I'm going to need to do a gingivectomy, which I did on number eight as I got through treatment. And when I was all done, I had even gingival contours, and I did some incisal contouring at the end. At the bottom, when I got ready to get the case done, I wanted to make sure that I uh, had protrusive guidance. So I checked to make sure that the heights of my teeth were such that when he went into protrusive, he would hit on two teeth rather than or four teeth rather than on two. And then I ended up with an arch form that I was very pleased with. And here I had to wrestle with number 27. And so by doing the strategies that I described to you where I swung it out and overcorrected it and then brought it back in, and didn't have any collisions, I was able to dial number 27 back in where I wanted it and then ended up uh, with a result that looked like that. Okay, each of those aesthetic strategies was planned before ClinCheck and then executed after the completion of Invisalign. So I knew beforehand going in how I was going to treat the case and then I did some of those strategies uh, as I finished up. And that's what that looked like. Okay, David, I'd like to take some questions if I can. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Gates. We appreciate it. If you could go ahead and put it on to the uh, very last uh, slide for me there, that would be great. And I want to cover one quick thing that's very important. In order to receive your CE certificate for this program, currently on the screen right now, there's a link at www.linetechinstitute.com slash survey. Once you complete your survey, you will have immediate access uh, to your CE certificate, so please go there at the, uh, after the completion of the program. And I wanted to thank Dr. Gates again for a great presentation, and for all of you for taking time out of your Friday to join us. We look forward to seeing you on another Ask the Expert webinar. Thanks.